Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay. How about you? Doing well. Uh, that You know, we're gearing up for Valentine's Day as we record this podcast in just a couple of weeks, and when people hear this podcast, it'll be even sooner than that. And for me, it's such a busy time of the year because I have our oldest's birthday, and then we have Christmas, and then we have New Year's, and then we have our anniversary the day after New Year's, and then Danielle's birthday, and then a month later, Valentine's Day. So it's a busy month of getting things for, for my ladies. Uh, my little guy, not as much around that time of year. Uh, but do you guys have big plans for Valentine's Day, you think? Uh, well, we're going to have a marriage dinner date night at our church uh, the Saturday after that, so it's the day after um, but Tiffany and I have never really been um, Valentine. I mean, we've never gone out on Valentine's Day the whole time we've known each other. Um, not to say that we've never done anything for Valentine's Day. We just never. We didn't want to wait in line for restaurants and deal with all that. And so uh, we've always kind of done it off peak time. So uh, nothing too extraordinary, at least at this point. Yeah, I get that. So. Uh, yeah, I don't want to blow our budget either, so we'll figure something chill. But, you know, with February, we think of love. Uh, we also think of uh, the great achievements of African Americans in American history, which is great. One, time, one thing we often aren't aware of and conscious of in February is that for many, uh, especially those who had love, who had a Valentine but no longer have it, a Valentine's uh the month of February in general and the days around Valentine's can be particularly hard. Actually, on a show I watch, uh, Parks and Recreation, we watch it all the time, and one of the characters early on, she has this kind of Valentine's alternative for her and some girlfriends who have kind of lost love uh, that had loved somebody, but then they aren't in relationships, and it's called Galentine's. But uh, (laughs) not everyone even has Galentine's. So I want to talk today, even though it's uh, the month of quote unquote love uh, about actual divorce. Uh, and what do you, do you think it would be hard on Valentine's day to be divorced? I would think so, particularly if it was, um, I guess maybe given some years and maybe not so much, but I would guess so. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, with the topic of divorce, how do you think divorce is portrayed in America in the year 2020, which is weird to say 2020? It does. It's it's hard getting. It just seems so different than, you know, you get 2018, 2019. That's not as much. But when you flip the decade like that, uh, I think that a lot of people would say, yeah, it's not overly desirable. You know, sometimes things just don't work out. Uh, sometimes it's just inevitable. And so it's not treated um, – it, it's certainly different than it was in generations past in our country or other places where Christianity has taken root or even other just traditional cultures. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that kind of provoked me wanting to do this podcast actually was something about how it's portrayed. Uh, actually, there's an Oscar-nominated film this year that some people think the best actor 
will come from, and it's called Marriage Story. It was uh, from 20, late 2019. It was actually a Netflix film. Have you seen it? I've not, but I have actually heard of it. You'd be surprised. And I, I read a little bit about it. So that's as far as I got. So I did watch it, and it was interesting, and it's being seen as kind of a great commentary on the nature of divorce. Uh, in a marriage story, it portrays uh, divorce as super painful, and it actually like it portrays the ways that it divides even those that have fallen out of love and uh, creates them into enemies of one another. Uh, but the funny thing was is. I think it became unrealistic in that it had all this, you know, disaster happens. But at the end, it just kind of all works out. They didn't explain how it all works out, but it just kind of, they're, they're just cool with each other at the end after completely destroying one another in court and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I think it does display both the idealism of divorce sometimes in America in 2020 as well as the reality of it. Uh, and I think the reality of divorce is that it's seen today is unfortunate. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants it. In fact, I think for that reason, marriage rate and that less people are getting married and less people are getting divorced is even more so. Uh, but I also think it's seen as kind of normal as not really a, not scandalous, but just a normal part of, of some marriages after things don't work out as planned. Yeah, I think that's a good take. And you mentioned, you know, with divorce uh, being more common in some parts of the world as opposed to others. Why is divorce so prevalent in the Western world, Ben? Well, we have rampant individualism. I think that's part of it. Uh, I don't think it's the only cause. We also have been heavily influenced by these romantic ideals, seeing love, um, it's come to we've come to see it as a contract or as a means to personal fulfillment. And so, when I'm in love with this person, I'm going to be uh, feel happiest. And um, really, the the biggest thing is for me to feel fulfilled. And if I'm not, then well, I need to make steps to correct that. Um, now, I think this is one of those chicken and egg things. But just depictions in popular culture and in the media, music kinds of things now it's hard to say which one came first but it's probably they're probably feeding on each other but you can often see it portrayed uh, how love itself is portrayed and so then that would give even though maybe the movies and music aren't um outright saying hey you should get a divorce those maybe sometimes they do it's feeding into that false notion of what love is and what marriage is about and that it's just being used to do something it, it's not designed entirely for not to say that it is not there's some level of personal fulfillment enjoyment and these kinds of things uh, but that's not the primary thing that it's for yeah absolutely um i think one thing to add to that is i think in the western world this is more prevalent also because there's kind of just a financial ability to, to more easily divorce yeah. I, well, and I've actually read some studies in showing that uh, when uh, economic development happens and when people have you know plenty, they're more likely to divorce because it, it's actually a possibility that's within reach in that kind of way. Uh, but I think what you said is really on that spot on. But I, one thing it is super important to note in our panicky podcast about divorce, which is not panicky, uh, is that it is in fact actually on a slight downswing. Uh, compared I've to read that. 
Yeah, many years compared to I. I think I've read in some things that it's heading to low levels lower than in most of my parents' life as life. Uh, and uh, so that doesn't say that it's not high compared to the rest of the world. It still is astronomically high, uh, but it does seem to be on a slight downturn. It does, it, and among educated, higher earning people, um, they tend to stay married longer. Whereas people who are not as high on the social economic scale, they are either just not getting married. That's and I, for that's one of the reasons that divorce rates are down. The marriage rates are also down too. But um, but if less people are getting divorced, that is a good thing. Yeah. Though there's complicated reasons. Well, and I think for listeners to note though, with those kind of things, when you think about divorce rates going down, we're not talking about you know divorce rates splitting in half. We're talking like a ten percent decrease in divorce rates and something along those lines. For the record, so. And how do you think the church compares to the broader world in terms of divorce? I remember hearing as a kid that it was at least one out of two, if not even a little higher in the church. Now, I have since read that that is inaccurate. Uh, at least, as people have investigated further, and among active conservative, conservative Protestants, um, there are a lot who you know attend church, that kind of thing. They're a lot less likely to get divorced than those who maybe even say that they're Christians, but who really have no meaningful involvement in a church. And it's kind of with just other religious people who are uh, active in their faith that they tend to divorce at lower rates. But uh, people who are just sort of nominal, they do divorce at higher rates. Yeah. Absolutely. I've found similar things. And it actually is really hard to give a really specific detail on this because the government doesn't ask you uh, what your strong religious statement is when you file for divorce. And there are states that, like California, doesn't doesn't keep a lot of divorce statistics, actually. But something I've seen consistently from the best evidence are that general Christians— uh, like those who just claim to be Christians, you know, that those that kind of check the box on a, you know, government survey that I'm a Christian uh, are about have about a 51 percent divorce rate. And that doesn't mean 51 percent get divorced uh, because people that get divorced once are more likely to get divorced a second time. That means about 51 percent of marriages in those cases end in divorce. Uh, and one thing that is fascinating is that we do know the Christian that the supposedly Christian South, the Bible Belt, has the most divorces per capita by significant measure compared to the rest of the country. Uh, did you know well, that? I did not know that. Yeah, pretty um, noticeably higher. So it, I'm actually surprised that I mean, just of kids that I, I know of in our church, we have off the top of my head, I can think of some kids who come from divorced homes, but I'm surprised that we don't have more. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that's the case actually is because despite that being the case, born-again active churchgoers who received premarital counseling uh, are thought to have the, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, divorce rate uh, in America. And uh, I've seen several things that study that specific demographic uh, and show, I mean, it's it's unbelievably low. It's it's shockingly low into the single digits. Uh, some, some stats even show low single digits among those who are born-again active churchgoers who received premarital counseling. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and, and I've, I mean, yeah, I've 
do premarital counseling myself and just hearing from people who got married without it and then are talking to their own kids who are getting ready to be married and things going, yes, this is a really good idea. You should do that. Um, so Absolutely. it's telling. But what does the Bible say about divorce in general, Ben? Well, most generally, God hates it. Um, but there's nuance to it. I mean, Jeremiah 3.8, I'm sure there's a lot of explanation that could go into this passage. But there God is talking about Israel, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and he says that he, he sent them away with a certificate of divorce. Um, but Judah took no notice of it. But he also has compassion. He um, he brings his people back from captivity and puts them back in the land, and ultimately, um, you know, makes a new covenant. Um, but he did permit for divorce, or kind of regulated how it was done under the old covenant. It wasn't just a freewheeling kind of thing. There there were restrictions. Jesus said it was because of the hardness of of their and you know our heart, just as humans, fallen humans. Um, I guess that's a general picture. Yeah. So I think uh, you got a lot of what I was thinking about. Uh, but one uh, idea that came to my mind in thinking about divorce from scriptural lens is I, I really see in the Bible a marriage is kind of covenantal. Uh, and so breaking it can be a big deal. Well, yeah. uh, and so some passages that really stuck out to me when Jesus spoke of the importance of uh, really a, f- a strong and staying together marriage. He said in Matthew nineteen six, the Bible reads, uh, so there, uh, they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let no, let not man separate. Uh, God joins together in marriage, and uh, so it's it's a problem when it's separated in that way. Uh, actually, Romans uh, uses a lot of the idea of marriage as a demonstration of the gospel, as well as the our our as well as the law. Uh, and it kind of, in Romans 7, he's talking about the law. Uh, and he said, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So that's a general principle out of marriage that he's using then as a typology. But that the point is that you're bound for life. That's, that's what marriage is, is ideally supposed to be. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned even where God says in Malachi that he hates divorce. Uh, but, uh, and further, I think it's relevant with this, you know, you brought up how, you know, God pulls back that call to divorce, but I think further supports that is Roman eight, Romans eight, 38 through 39. And I think it's thinking through this context of God's covenant love towards us. Uh, it says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I think that shows us in Christ's marriage of the church, there will never be, he will never institute a divorce, uh, no matter mm-hmm. what. Uh, but uh, the last passage I think that came to mind in Bible teaching about divorce actually is First uh, Timothy 3.12, and there's a couple other passages on the long of those lines. Uh, it says, Let deacons uh, each be the household of uh, a husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And there's some several verses that say this about elders as well. Uh, and so I think the Bible actually lines out so values staying in marriage that to me I interpret that those passages teaching that divorced men 
cannot serve as deacons or elders uh, if they're divorced, regardless of the situation. I know there's some debate about that, but I think regardless, it shows how much God values sticking with it in marriage. Yeah, I mean, clearly, it's um, God prioritizes it a lot more than we do at our time and place and our culture. So we both agree that, you know, there's a value to marriage, but does the Bible ever allow divorce? Uh, I think, yes, it does. Uh, There are narrow, and even under the Old Covenant, it was a fairly narrow uh, permission for it. I think under the New Covenant, there is still narrow, permissible reasons for it. Um, I guess really no one argues that you can never divorce. The question is then, is remarriage allowed? Is it a a legitimate divorce? But we're not so much talking about the remarriage aspect of it. But yeah, in the case of um, adultery or sexual immorality, Jesus simply calls it porneia. It's where we get the word for pornography, but it's, it's not a specific thing. Some people have tried to define it so narrowly, but... That's kind of that's not widely accepted that that term is referring to one specific thing. First um, Corinthians seven, Paul talks about abandonment by unbelieving spouse, and I, I would this is I guess this is some level of inference, and not everyone would agree. But I think in certain cases of abuse and those kind of things that the, someone has essentially abandoned the marriage covenant. Um, and, you know, when there's a posing a danger like that, um, that that would be permissible. Yeah, that's uh, some good thoughts. And some of those verses are ones that come to my mind. I do disagree with you, though, about uh, the claim that pretty much nobody does not allow divorce. Actually, John Piper, I don't know, have you heard John Piper's perspective on divorce? I have some. It's been a while. Um, I thought he just objected to the remarriage part of it, but does he actually just come out and say no divorce? Yeah. Basically? Well, he okay. I mean, he does. He says you're not in sin if you uh, that somebody cheats on you and they divorce you if they leave you in that kind of case. That's what he takes that First Corinthians thing is teaching. But he says that it's okay to the all the passages about it being okay to divorce in case of adultery and stuff like that, which are pretty clear, are referring to when you're engaged, actually. And I think he's wrong on that. I don't think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about ending engagement. But I think Matthew 5.32 does clearly allow uh, some kind of case for, I I think adultery doesn't, I agree with you, it does not give us specifics on how that works out. But I I think it would have to be uh, some kind of real sexual intimacy with another person outside of marriage. Uh, And... uh, I'm, you know, sometimes people have used that as saying, you know, uh, say that, you know, a spouse cheats one uh, single time and slips up in that, which is clearly sin. Some will teach that one single time merits biblical allowance for divorce. Uh, and I think it's, it seems to me to be more talking about habitual issue, uh, though I do think it breaks the covenant with the idea of covenant because you're kind of starting the sign of a covenant with somebody else. So I think we have to give some allowance uh, in those cases and even say that it's not in sin for somebody to divorce because they've been cheated on. Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 7, like you said, does talk about abandonment. And I actually tend to, I mean, Matthew suggests it's only a case of adultery. 
Uh, and then First Corinthians suggests it's only cases of abandonment. And I, so I interpret those together as being, and abandonment is referring to abandoning, a husband abandoning his wife uh, for another woman, uh, rather than just being like, oh, that, uh, you know, you split up and separate in that kind of way. I don't, I think it's referring to one thing rather than two different exceptions. So, uh, but I think even with all these allowances, uh, it doesn't mean that it's ideal by any stretch of the imagination to get divorced, even when some sin has been done significantly in the marriage relationship. That's a really good point to bring out that while it may be uh, the, the course that's taken and that would be permissible before the Lord, that it still leads to hurt and damage and just even unforeseen consequences and complications. And then if you throw children into the mix, that just gets turned up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, then how is this a theological issue? You know, we're the TFM podcast. We're not the marriage and divorce podcast. (laughs) I think the most basic way to say it is it tells lies about Jesus and God's gospel. Um, Marriage is about Christ and the church. And I think that's part of why I I hesitate to disagree with John Piper, but uh, that is one area. Uh, I think he is absolutely right, or many, one of the many areas, but, you know, I, I'd listened to his sermon series um, multiple times on, uh, I forget what it's called, but uh, Marriage and Keeping Covenant or something. And if you haven't listened to it, it's helpful stuff. But he talks about, he said, you know, he, he was talking to his wife and as he was getting ready to preach, and she, is there anything that you would, you think I should say in this? And she's like, well, you can't say enough that marriage is about Christ and the church. And so that just kept coming out through the series that marriage is about Christ and the church. I mean, it's, it's a gospel issue. And so um, that's why. And it's just built into the fabric of creation. It, it, um, you know, the, the first ordinance and institution that God gave us. And it was because it was about something even greater than itself. You know, um, some would say, you know, the reason God created the world, and Jonathan Edwards said that was, you know, so that uh, his son would have a bride. So anyway, it's very high on God's priority list because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think those are some great terms. I think it really does reveal a theology of, uh, of Christ in the church, like you said. I, I love that Jonathan Edwards quote uh, his mentality with that. But I think also marriage and divorce and thinking about these reveals the theology of love uh, and what love is because I think that is a theological issue of understanding what uh, the action of love is and especially as it comes from God, you know. And uh, I think it reveals, in some ways, looking at divorce can reveal an insufficient view of God's sovereignty as a theological issue. I actually remember, um, I really loved The Art of Marriage, and I want to encourage people to check out The Art of Marriage, which is like a video study on marriage. And there was a woman who was thinking about divorcing her husband, and she felt like, you know, the uh, he can't change and things will never get better. And then she, I think she was talking to a pastor, and she came to realize, you know, if Jesus can raise from the dead, if Jesus can defeat death, who am I to believe that God can't fix our marriage? Uh, Mm. And so I think in that, you know, it reveals, I think, divorce, especially over many of the reasons where, you know, we just don't get along and we'll never get along, can reveal such a weak view of the Holy Spirit, of God's sovereignty, of Christ's uh, power to change hearts. 
That's a really good point. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, some might hear this and wonder, you know, do Pastor Tony and Pastor Ben want people to be in unhappy marriages? Isn't it better for people to not be in unhappy marriages? What do you think about that? Well, that's a tricky question. Um, I think it's it's sort of a yes and no. Yes, in some cases, maybe God wants you to endure uh, in a happy marriage because it builds character, uh, dependence on God. It, it shows God's sufficiency. Um, in another sense, no, I, I don't think God delights in someone's difficult marriage. Um, he does want our joy. He wants us to flourish. And so in a direct sense, uh, no, he, he's not pleased by that. But not every unhappy situation calls for divorce. And so, yeah, it's just hard to give a, a, a flat answer for all situations um, on what that looks like. Yeah, I I agree with you um, that uh, it is complicated. Uh, but I, I would want to say, obviously, God does not want people to be unhappy marriages. You know, I think nobody is here arguing that, uh, you know, we should want people to be unhappy. We should go on a cruise of indebted to make sure that people are suffering and unhappy. Uh, but it is important to note to me that marriage is for holiness, uh, mm-hmm. and there are far more important things than happiness. And there are times where holiness and happiness uh, are two different paths and it's better to take the path of holiness of glorifying God and growing in Christ than always do what makes us the most happy and I think that's deeply relevant for the discussion about divorce uh, and uh, that and we don't know and I think this goes back to what I mentioned earlier we don't know that God won't make this a marriage incredibly joyful in the future we can't say that it will stay terrible or, or, you know, if we say that, if we say that our marriage will stay unhappy, uh, as some who try to give hope that, you know, God wants to give us a way out of an unhappy marriage, we fail to realize the Holy Spirit is alive. And he, I know of cases where people have had miserable marriages and they're faithful to Jesus. And this is not promised, but I know of cases where it has happened, where they've had incredible joy in their marriage that they never thought could have happened. And that's only because the Holy Spirit is alive. Yeah, I mean, we, I can think of two couples that I know in our church who have experienced the latter, where things got very bad. And then, I mean, it was just the hand of God working. In one case, uh, the husband was not a believer, and he became a believer. And then, um, anyway, so it's very encouraging. See, I know of another situation, though, where it's that hasn't happened. And um, But yes, I mean, God, like you said earlier, if God raised Jesus from the dead, there is the hope that, that he can and and will um, possibly work to that and, and bring about a beautiful restoration. Yeah. So, uh, but does this divorce typically solve the problems that it seeks to address? Because that's one thing I think our culture is more and more questioning that. I think that was a really good question um, because, yeah, that the issues that cause the divorce don't just go away um i mean like say in the case of abuse well it does in the the abuse or it can um but when it's 
character issues and patterns of communication and desires and demands and idols, um, those kind of things, they go with you. And so, I mean, it takes two to create a problem uh, in almost every case. And so whether the person never remarries or not, I mean, they still have those character issues. But particularly if they go and then remarry, um, they're still bringing the same same sin it, mm-hmm. it may come out in different ways because the dynamics of the new relationship are different, um, but it, it opens up a whole new world of hurt. And again, when you bring yeah. children into the mix, it just really complicates life. And that that other person, um, some of the, the tendencies that you saw beforehand, it may come out in a whole new way with sharper teeth when you're you know you're competing yeah. about stuff over the kids, and um, I mean it can just be a mess. Yeah. I think you answered that really well. But one thing I will add to that is, you know, as much it becomes harder in, in so many different ways, and this is not the uh, most important one, but it even just frankly becomes substantially more expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. the cost, the economic cost for a family for the divorce is often huge, and that's not the biggest factor, but that just adds another stress to difficulty of life after, you know, and it doesn't even remove the stress. Like you mentioned, you know, the spouse is still in, in the picture because you have to deal with them. Still, you have to relate with them, too, in some way, shape, or form, especially if there's kids in the picture. So, But I, I very much want to say that uh, with this kind of thing, even though we both agree that it can often cause more problems than it solves often, we have to be okay. If we follow scripture, we have to be okay with this happening at times or the biblical authority allows it. Uh, and, you know, we have to be content that God was wise in allowing it and knew that there are cases in which it is okay and God works through these kinds of situations for people. Yeah. So, but how does divorce impact the next generation? Well, I think it just generally affects how they see marriage and commitment to it. It can, or I mean, it can also steal their resolve against divorce, depending on what their experience was. It can also be a very poor example of problem solving, depending on the dynamics of of what may have happened leading up to it, whether there was open conflict, or even if, if the conflict was not open and apparent to the children, they just see, oh, mom and dad are divorcing. And so that can set the stage for maybe not the, the best conflict and problem-solving kind of uh, approach. Uh, and I think, I mean, it could even affect wider family relationships and, and conflict that will inevitably come. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody out there that's been married that hasn't had, at least, even if it was minor, some kind of issue, um, you know, with extended family stuff and mm-hmm. you know if you're coming out of a divorce situation uh just how that colors all that and you know um it just there's a lot of knots there that don't always get untied or don't get um untied until there's some hurt involved yeah well it sounds like you're very knowledgeable on this kind of stuff all the only thing i will add is actually from back to that movie the marriage story I I was listening to a discussion with the creator and the director of the movie, and he he talked about how his parents divorced, and apparently he'd made a previous movie relating to his parents' divorce and how it had so negatively impacted him and hurt him and caused him to distrust his parents in ways, and he never wanted to get divorced. 
uh, you know, and put his family through that. And then the fa- uh, marriage story was actually kind of a telling of his own divorce. So as much as he had negative, deeply negative view of divorce, uh, he ended up getting divorced himself, uh, the creator of the film. And, uh, and that's not a surprise. It, it seems to be the case that those who are children of divorce will often see divorce as awful, but they will be more likely, on statistically, they're significantly more likely to get divorced themselves uh, when they are adults and have w- wives and children or, you know, husbands and children. Hmm. I don't know if I, I had read that, but I can see that making sense. But, uh, you know, we've both kind of come down that we're not fans of divorce, shocker. Uh, but is divorce the unforgivable sin, Ben? Uh, and if it's not, which I assume that's going to be your answer, uh, then uh, do you think that we can attach too much stigma to divorce? Well, the first part, I mean, no, there's no question about it. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin, and neither is suicide. That's one that often gets floated out there, but that's not. That's not what Jesus said. Um, as far as the stigma goes, probably in some circles. I mean, I have a friend in my church who divorced probably forty years ago, and she said she dealt with some of that for a while. I think now we're probably too flippant about divorce and remarriage. Though I saw something recently, um, someone that that we mutually know. Um, apparently was divorced and remarried and it was something on Facebook and uh, there was some comment about it. And then someone uh, asked, they're like, Oh, you're divorced. I didn't know that. And he said, yeah, I know it can be kind of shocking sometimes um, for Christians to encounter someone like that. But yeah, that's, that's the case with me. And so I think it probably just depends on kind of the circles that you're in. I have not experienced too much stigma. Um, or I've observed, I, I'm not divorced myself, but I've not seen that take place a whole lot. Have you? Yeah, I I think you bring up your point. I think in most, especially secular circles, there's almost no stigma at all. Uh, but I do think that in, in cons, uh, biblically conservative uh, circles, Bible-believing circles, sometimes that there can be a sense of shame and stigma towards it, towards those mm-hmm. who, you know, get divorced. Uh, and I think sometimes even a condemnation, and at times for those who have either done nothing wrong, you know, there are cases in which a partner in divorce did nothing wrong. Maybe they were cheated on and then the spouse left them. Uh, mm-hmm. and, or and uh, or even there can be a sense of shame and and stigma towards those who regret their mistakes that it made mistakes in the past and it's a mistake you have to live with but it's not worse than other sins it's not necessarily worse than other mistakes in this um, and some just have to live with it you know and regret that uh, but the amazing thing is by God's grace what can be the case even for our kids like you know even the damage we've talked about that divorce can have upon kids what can be the case, what statistically often is is the case, isn't necessarily what will be the case. You know, many kids of divorce end up having great marriages, uh, that uh, more people get divorced on their second marriages, the higher percentage than the average, but many second marriages are great and thrive by God's grace. And, you know, and so a lot of these things are not universal truths. They're not promises. Uh, and we can thank God that that's the case. Uh, and I think that one thing I'll add to this is we might often see divorcees as you know worse off in the kingdom, but 
I think some divorcees that are faithful to Jesus that either repented of, of sins or were just victim of another person's sins may even be greater in the kingdom than those of us who take pride in our more successful marriages. That's a good point. So, and how can parents help their children understand the tricky topic of divorce, uh, be it their own divorce or someone else's, not not their young children's divorce? Kids shouldn't get married, and nor should uh, parents set that up. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's <laughs> that's such a tough question. Um, I think it's going to depend on a lot of dynamics: the age of the child, whether it's your own marriage that you're explaining this about or someone else's um, or is this your child, the friend or the, the parents of your child's friend or just some friends or family members that you have. But I think just telling them the basics that these people won't be married anymore. Um, and then off, I mean, depending on their age, uh, they're going to want to know why. And I mean, for younger kids, I think you just explained sometimes problems can get really big and people have trouble dealing with them. Um, you don't want to get into blaming and to trying to, to say too much, especially if they're very young. Uh, with older kids, I mean, I think there's things you can talk about more. And I know like in my own extended family, as I got older, there were things that I noticed and dynamics that I saw at play that I didn't notice when I was a kid and that, you know, now that I'm an adult, there's things that I see even more than when I was like a teenager. And so, I mean, they may pick up on some things. Um, and if you're at a family gathering and there's a, a couple there that, you know, they're all the time just heated and contentious towards each other. Um, you know, an older kid's going to go, Oh yeah, they, they did fight and yell a lot or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I think you talk about there is, like you were talking about there just a moment ago, there is mercy with Christ. Um, you know, if it's uh, if you're, there's a, another child who's a friend of your child involved, you know, your friend might be sad or they might be angry, um, things like that that might – they're going to be coming down the pipeline to, to help them prepare for that. And if they, they may do some things that are unexplainable um, and just how they can be a good friend to them in the middle of that and um, – but yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole lot to it, and again, it just depends on a lot of factors. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's good. Um, the I, I really appreciate your uh, thoughts on this. One thing, little thing, I would add is we must talk about divorce with kids, even at early ages. Uh, we must be the ones that deal with this from a biblical lens, because even Sesame Street talks about divorce. You know, we can't. <laughs> I'm and I'm not kidding. We can't shelter. Uh, oh, it's children's so prevalent. Shows. I, it doesn't surprise me, I guess. They but. will be indoctrinated. We talk about they'll be indoctrinated one way or another. You know, they'll yeah. be catechized one way or another. And this is one of those issues where the culture does not refrain from catechizing our kids. In, and we need to be able to catechize them in this first and a biblical lens on this. Um, so how can churches come alongside children and families going through tough situations like this? Well... I think regularly show love for them and pray for them. You know, go out of your way to do that. Speak the truth in love. Um, I mean, if it's particularly as someone who is going through the divorce themselves, um, not just ganging up on the other spouse or that kind of thing. Though there are times which you know you you listen and you're supportive, and if it's very clear that the person has wronged them, uh, say in a case of you know they've 
cheated and, and run off with the secretary or something. Um, that was a wrong thing, and it's good and right to, to validate that, that sense of hurt and of loss. Um, but, uh, but yeah, speak, there may be other occasions when you need to confront them about something um, or even just the way they're talking about them. Uh, and I, I mean, I talked about this a minute ago, but you, know, you don't want to speak badly about the parties involved, especially to, you know, to the children. Um, there's just, I mean, these are tricky situations and it takes a lot of wisdom and real prayerful uh, consideration, I think, before we open our mouths, try to try to listen. And uh, we're told to, to be <laughs> quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, and so that would help a lot of us out if we did listen before yeah. opening our mouths. Um, but yeah, just I think the biggest thing going out of the way to to love them, encourage them, and you know, they're uh, if it's children involved, that single parent has is now stepping into a role that is different. They're going to have unique burdens, and so trying to step in and support them in that, give them tangible uh, help um, if, if watching the child or just you know yeah. those kinds of things. That's good. So I know of a next generations ministry uh, led by family pastor that in these cases he you know he's big and bigger church and so this these cases come up and one little practice he always does for kids that are having parents go through divorces is he'll uh, he'll make sure he sends them in the mail a candy bar and just a nice encouraging note uh, and uh, and it's like and I think that's so small but I think that can be very big to a lot of people in that kind of situations and, and maybe if you're a church leader don't necessarily do specifically that uh, but I do think like you mentioned find practical ways to really step up if you're church leaders to, to support the kids to be there for the kids especially because I think the kids can be forgotten in all of this uh, but for the parents I think Every church that has the ability to do so should be able to provide some free and equipped biblical counseling for these kinds of things uh, from a loving and confidential perspective. But mm-hmm. f- uh, most of our listeners are not pastors or necessarily elders or anything like that. Uh, and I want to say to them, I think uh, don't separate your families from the families that are going through these hard situations, as I think it might be easy to. You know, you don't want to. It's a hard conversation to have with the kids, and you might take sides. I think love on them. Really love on these families like crazy and, and come around alongside all of them in hopes and prayers that God does a work. But also, if that doesn't happen, in hopes and prayers that God restores them and grows them in Christ through whatever might happen in their future. That's that's really good counsel. And one thing I'd add to, and I don't know why this is the case, but it's very prevalent for kids to assign blame to themselves um, when their parents are divorced, thinking somehow they contributed or you know that it's their fault. And I think in their parents, in most cases, are going to be quick to reassure them that it was not about them. Uh, but that that plays in as well. Just you know that, that reassuring the child that it, it's not their fault. Um, yeah. You know, and they'll say, oh, well, if I would have done this or done this, and it's it's really, they, they don't, responsibility doesn't lay at their door. Yeah. So the last question to ask then, I'm thinking about this, is how do we raise up young people that grow to present a more lasting image of marriage and its biblical typology? Well, 
I think we have to pray for and work on our own marriages. And not and we want to have a good theology of it, obviously. Um, I mean, there's a number of people in the church, and even who would, I don't know if, if they claim the title evangelical, but who, who are caving to the pressure of our culture to be more accommodating and supportive of same-sex uh, relationships and marriages and that kind of thing. I think that's damaging ultimately to the gospel. And so we do want to have a good theology of marriage, but and we also want to have a good expression of it and live it out um, and have work to have a joyful marriage. And that's not always that everything's lovey-dovey and, you know, um, that type of thing. I mean, there's some people that that's just how they are, but I think most people that's, that's not. But you can still have affection for one another, love one another, treat one another well. Um, but we want to make it look desirable and to be a blessing because it really is. Um, I think we want to avoid making bad jokes about it and the ball and chain and uh, even the kinds of things like, you know, just do it, do it, she says, and everything will go fine. I, that's not helpful in the end. That's not how it should be. And it's, it shouldn't be the reverse either. Like I'm the king of the house and, you know, I've got her in line and barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen kind of thing. Just talk about it in good ways. Uh, don't demean it. And, you know, invite people in even to, to get glimpses, even if it's it's uh, uh, your your kids. Now, this takes wisdom, uh, or teenagers or something that you're ministering to, but invite them in to, to see that marriage is not always roses and peaches and cream. And it, uh, even if you have a good marriage, that it involves conflict and involves dealing with sin and just putting up with each other in some regards. I mean, Paul talks about that in Colossians, um, just enduring with each other. Sometimes we just have to endure with our brothers and sisters, and the same is true of our spouse. I mean, there's just things you just, because of love, you just overlook. Um, like you literally just look past it and go, okay, well, we're just going to go on. And yeah. so um, helping people to see that, and that doesn't mean that you're ungodly or something because you have some level of, of conflict that you deal with and, and sin. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty obvious stuff, I think, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I just add to that two things. Uh, so, and one thing I think you kind of alluded to is stop elevating a theology of glory in marriage and to show that marriage mm -hmm. is often hard. I actually think of, um, when I was the Christian school that I went to, there was like one special chapel where there was a youth pastor at a large church had kind of got together the senior hires just along because we typically, I think, had chapel with the junior hires together. And uh, he had a talk about marriage and about waiting for marriage. And he said, you know, if you wait till marriage, I can tell you, it'll be the best sex ever right in your wedding night. And, uh, and you know, and you guys need to get married because, you know, every day when you're married, every single day is the best day of your life. Uh, and, you know, and that all, all real marriages, you know, you're just always happy and it's so exciting and awesome. And it's like a roller. I think it describes it as like, like being on a roller coaster, which I hate roller coasters. Uh, so maybe that wasn't <laughs> the best marriage for me, but he, I mean, he was wrong. Like, I mean, marriage is hard sometimes. And, you know, and it's not about this kind of theology of glory and about the, uh, it's not, it's not meant to be a, that kind of, you know, thrill ride. Uh, it, it's hard work. It's life transformation. It hurts sometimes, you know, and it's painful at times. It's amazing. And more often than not, I, for us, it's amazing. Uh, but you know, it's, 
it's not you know it's not this grandiose picture that when uh, it you don't meet live up to it I think you'll end up getting a divorce and I I really suspect that that kind of view of marriage will end up in people being dis- dissatisfied because they missed out on the amusement park that a, that leaders promised them before it but instead I think showing them marriage is hard work it's work it stretches us and I think teaching young people that is so important I actually think even specifically practically teach the prophet Hosea which is a demonstration of God's love but it's a story of marriage where you know the husband tries and he works so hard in this uh, and he try is told to love his wife who's cheating on him who's betraying him left and right uh, and yet he loved her yet he sought to love her regardless and I think that is such a demonstration of what real male marriage will be, and that you know your that uh, your love for your spouse should not be dependent upon how much they love you. Uh, love is an action, and I think that kind of thing is going to shape people into those who give a hundred percent rather than doing the fifty-fifty garbage that ends up leading to divorce all the time. Good words. Um, yeah, and the the whole critique of the purity movement, purity culture stuff from Josh Harris um, was kind of just a, a poster boy for that. And, yeah. and now the, the criticism of it. But I don't, I mean, I guess I heard some of that kind of thing, like, oh, just wait, and then your sex will be great. Um, but I don't know that I... I necessarily had that impression that that marriage and sex would just be great if if we waited but yeah i could see that if that was what was promised and you know like marriage is work any kind of relationship involves work especially one this of that close of a a nature so um, yeah good, good points Absolutely. So, well, it's a good discussion on a hard issue. And I do want to state for any listeners that have been divorced, that are going through divorce, again, this is not the unpardonable sin. God deeply cares about both parties involved. And that I want to encourage those going through a difficult situation like that to talk to biblically qualified, healthy elders and pastors at their local church, uh, because nobody can help including this podcast, nobody can help in this quite like a pastor and a shepherd within your body of Christ. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.